I, I can take a little bit of time doing that because we're doing it so great on time. We'll still have opportunity to beat the Methodists to the food bar. And uh, so, <laughs> well, this message is not about you, but it is for you. It's not about me, but it is for me. Because I'm moving away from the book of Hebrews this morning and want to uh, focus on uh, something that, um, let me, guys, bring that up, yeah. Focus on something that is plaguing plaguing our culture, plaguing all of America, maybe around the world. Um, and the Word of God speaks authoritatively on this, this subject which has plagued mankind since the beginning. I've preached this message before with a lot of fine-tuning for today, but I don't know that it's ever been needed any more than now, and it certainly deserves treatment again. The title, The Work of Satan, the work of the Savior. This emphasizes this morning how Satan's work is ultimately against God. Clearly, Satan is against the Lord. But how it plays out is among people. It plays out in the hurting and the hating of one another. And the emphasis also in this verse, in this text, John 10.10, is how the Savior and the Savior alone will bridge that gap, the deep-seated sin of the human heart. And so you're welcome to turn to it. We're going to be in three other passages. But the text today, the springboard, is John 10.10. And as you see it there, the thief cometh not or only comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. That, that's a declarative statement from the Savior, written in the authoritative inspired Word of God. The enemy has a purpose, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The advocate also has a purpose, the Good Shepherd, the Savior, that is to bring life, and not just any old kind of life, but abundant, full, fulfilling, satisfying life. With God as my witness, and I've lived on both sides of the track. I've been so deep in the world, you would not recognize me back then when I was a teenager, 20-year-old. And I've walked with him now for 43 years. And by the authority of the Word of God and human experience, he alone satisfies the longing of the human heart for peace and contentment and joy and hope for tomorrow and direction for now. And so the good shepherd, and that's the context here, is Jesus having presented himself as the good shepherd who has infinite care for his sheep to the degree that he will lay down his own life for them in sacrificing for them. The good shepherd wants us, his people, his sheep, to not just survive, but to thrive. Guys, help me out with this if, you're, if you've got an eye on me. Relative to this issue, relative to this issue of harmony among one another, racial reconciliation, the sin of racism. Now, I've asked Hezekiah to be uh, my helper here. Hezekiah, you'd stand up, please. 
We are brothers from different mothers, as you can rightly tell, right? Say, say a few words uh, to the adoring crowd. Truly speaking, when you trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you have your brothers and sisters all over the world. And if we are not brothers in Christ, we can be brothers in Adam. And that is where racism is very, very paramount. Now, you can see our difference. You can see that I'm old enough to be his father. But you hear something different too, don't you? And Hezekiah's family and Wilfred and others are from Cameroon, other countries represented here. So there is a distinct difference. It's, you can tell, it's noticeable, it's apparent to the naked eye, to the ear, to probably our cultures. I don't know how his family functions relative to meals and relative to um, bedtime. Uh, uh, you kids have bedtimes, right? And, uh, <laughs> and that <laughs> Noel is saying, get me out of here. <laughs> Thank you. But we love one another. I mean, I love Hezekiah as much as I love anyone here. And one of the ways, maybe the primary way that is realized is through joining hearts in prayer. That's how it's realized. When I was widowed and I drew up the application for any woman who would have me, you know, she had to fill out an application. The first point on the application was, are you bathed in prayer? Are you, that, that was, the, Ray, do you remember that? Had, God help me. Had to have, already, pre-made, no ramp up time. Too old to get started with another ramp up time as a young adult. Had to have God all over her. Or she was not a candidate, for lack of a better word. She was not a prospect. Did God answer the prayer? Praying together knits your hearts together. As much as anything that is possible in this life, it seems to me, Hezekiah and I pray together. And Hezekiah, I didn't tell you this, but I've, I've had a burden on my heart for five days now since you prayed for our young single adults. See what, how God moves? He didn't put that on me at all. But we join and knit hearts together. And it doesn't matter that we're from different nationalities, cultures, colors of skin pigmentation, and the like. And so today might be, um, might be not what you counted on, but it might be what God would have for each of, it, of us. So, the Good Shepherd. Some hold in our text that, bring that text back guys, the thief is not actually Satan. I've read about this. 
but that they're the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Now, that is not an absurd understanding of the text. But after all, the religious leaders of Jesus' day certainly hated him and they wanted to impede his ministry. But this particular phrase, the thief cometh, it's singular. It's not plural like all the religious leaders would be. And Jesus said the leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, those were always in the plurality. And this has a definite article. It's the enemy. It's the thief. So I am convinced exegetically that this is in fact Satan um, and of course his minions and his followers. So how does Satan practically work in accomplishing the stealing, the killing, and the destroying? By turning people against one another. That's how it actually plays out. That's how he sins and blasphemes the Lord primarily is that we are at one another's throats. Satan wins. He steals, he kills, he destroys. When that happens in a culture, when that happens in a church, when that happens in a family, its expression is person to person. He tempts us to despise, to discourage, to belittle, to devour one another, and he gets the victory. And the work of Satan is addressed much in the word of God. And throughout history, mankind has cannibalized itself in despising and devouring one another based on every type of man-made separation we can imagine. I mean, it's, it's truly amazing. The Samaritans, lowlifes uh, uh, in the eyes of the Jews. The Gentiles were unclean dogs. The Nazis viewed the Jews as non-persons. And throughout history, there's always been that sort of thing. Skin color, gender, nationality, social standing have all been used of the enemy to sow distrust and contempt for one another so that we go to the throats of one another. Sadly, throughout much of history, the American church isn't much better. It's been said that Sunday morning is the most segregated time of the week in our culture. The most racially segregated time of the week. Because there are white churches and there are black churches. Now, not so much like it used to be. But when I pastored in 1985 elsewhere in middle Missouri, and I asked the congregation, what, how would you feel? And this congregation had never had a black person in attendance ever. Totally white congregation. What would happen if God allowed me to win a black person to the Lord and this person came to church here? And they looked at me like, well, you're, you're out of your mind. It would not happen. I said, you mean you, you would refuse? No, no, no. We would not refuse. We wouldn't stand in the way. It's just an unwritten rule in this county that there are black churches and there are white churches and there is not any mingling of the two by either side. That doesn't look much like heaven to me from what I read in the word of God. Now, if it's only an issue of geography, that is where you live, then that's fine. If it's an issue of methodology, that is your tastes and your styles and, and preferences, that's less fine, but it, maybe it's livable because we all have cultural distinctives and that might not be necessarily wrong. But God did not create cookie cutter people. If it's 
an issue among Bible-believing Christians that it's only good to worship with, to fellowship with folks who are your same age, and there's discrimination there. There are young churches, there are churches which are for the 20-year-old crowd, and hardly any other will be ministered to. If it's a skin color issue, if it's a socioeconomic level, and that is how we determine fellowship, even in an unstated way, and typically it would be unstated because we're sophisticated, then shame on us and how that breaks the heart of God if that were to be ever the case. God is in the soul-saving business and it doesn't matter if your background is African or Asian or European or Latin or Middle Eastern or Native American or any other ethnicity that I haven't identified. It's not a Jew-Gentile issue. It's not a rich-poor issue. It's not a young-old, male-female. And the reason why it's not and it can't be is because every person kneels at the foot of the cross at the same level. There's no strutting your stuff in the, at the foot of the cross of grace. There's no strutting stuff there. There's, there's no showing a badge of acceptance. All are equally unacceptable because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now you've heard me say it before. I cannot help that I was born in an affluent culture in a predominantly white nation during a time when there was the rule of law and afforded education and all the rest. I'm not guilty. I don't feel guilty about that. But I had sure better recognize that I'm to praise God from whom all blessings flow. That didn't sound as like what I meant it to sound. Because if I would have been born in Haiti as a desperately poor Haitian, black man in a culture with 40% unemployment, living in a hut with dirt floors, and I've been there six times and have visited many of those huts, then I still had better praise God from whom all blessings flow. I am accountable to do that and anywhere in between the socioeconomic lines. So folks, here's the declarative statement. Racism is a sin before God. And for the believer, racism is sinfully absurd because it violates three primary principles I want to share with you. First of all, the sin of racism violates spiritual law. It violates spiritual law. If you look, and we're not going to exegete it, but just read it. Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, turn if you would, Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, where it reads, Wherefore, remember that you, being in the time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh, made by hands. In other words, you Gentiles were called this by the Jews. That at that time, you were without Christ, Aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, that is that God will have a new day for those who turn to him, um, having no hope, and without God in this world. I mean, what a desperate plight they were in. 
But now, in Christ Jesus, you who, who were once far off are made near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath broken down, uh, uh, check that, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition. Notice how many times in this passage it uses the word one or us or together. It's seemingly in every verse. He has made both one, broken down the middle wall of partition between us, have abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the war, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, to make in himself of two one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile, bring together both Jew and Gentile in this case, case unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And came and preached peace to you who were afar off, that is, you Gentiles, and to those who were near, that is, the Jews, who had the oracles, who had the covenants. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now, because of that, therefore, you're no more strangers and sojourners, pilgrims, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And you're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed, what? Together grows unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. And so this text teaches us that the gospel bridges barriers. Now I want to do a, a, a commercial advertisement for a moment. Our own Maceo Gray, who, who he and his late wife Annie and their two daughters were trailblazers. He, he's not here right now. He taught a Sunday school class, but he's not in the auditorium right now. But he and I spoke about this recently. He came to Kansas City from Dallas in the early 60s, took a job at Bendix as an engineer. I believe the first black engineer in the history of that corporation. Worked, worked there for 30 years or so. Well, within a couple of three years, moved out to, uh, moved out to minor, a minor drive, about, which is a, a, a functionally 119th Street, out south here. And showed up at Redbridge Baptist Church in the mid-1960s. Now, does anybody remember 1968? Not a fun time. I remember, I remember curfews in the summer of 1968. Or at 7 o'clock, you better be inside of your house for race riots are going to commence. And yet, Maceo and his family blazed the trail, the first, white, uh, first black family in what was all, an all-white church at that time. Now, to be sure, church was only three years old or so at the time, so it wasn't like we had much of a history. But they came in, and they were accepted and loved, and now these 52 years later, he is still a Sunday school teacher every week here at this church. And his book, his new book, is coming out. And listen to the name of the book. It'll be published this fall, he believes. I talked to him Friday. Bridging the Racial Divide with the Cross of Christ. You can only bridge the hatred that people groups have for one another by presenting the Prince of Peace. Folks, that is the answer. And when the Prince of Peace invades a life, a family, a church, a culture, Everything is turned upside down, inside out, and it's altogether different. The Jews during Bible times, as a whole, 
believed that because the Gentiles didn't have the physical mark of circumcision, and this is what this passage is talking about, they were of much less worth. And yet Paul pointed out that it wasn't a physical mark that granted standing with God. It's not race, it's not gender, it's not education, social standing, religion, but it is faith and faith alone in the Lord. To the degree the scripture speaks about God not being a respecter of persons, it says that four times in 2 Chronicles 19.7, Romans 2.11, Ephesians 6.9, and Colossians 3.25, that God does not play favorites based on, well, based on anything. But for our context today, based on skin coloring, he determines the appointed times of empires and nations and ethnicities. That's why you should not lament your place and station in life because it was God's sovereign choice. And so within that station in life, whether you've had been afforded educational and economic opportunities or not, whether you've been granted wonderful physical health or not, answer this with me. The Lord giveth, say it with me, and the Lord taketh away what? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, folks, either we believe that or we don't. We do or we don't. It's that, God, you're unjust, you're unfair, you didn't know what you're doing, your wisdom has gone out the window, because after all, look at my lot in life. Or... You have a place for me to make a difference for your glory in my time. And by the authority of the word of God, I'm here to tell you that it's the latter. It is that. God has a place for you. So I want to ask you, do you have a temptation? You probably don't do it. At least you probably don't do it much. But are you tempted to look down on someone else? because of a perceived beauty or popularity or influence or, or the like? Are you prone to be more accepting of those just like you than those not like you? Are you more prone to have voted for Mayor Quentin Lucas because he is a black American and less prone for the same reason? Evaluate that in your own heart, just based on skin pigmentation. You see, it's getting a little uncomfortable. Frankly, I'm getting a little uncomfortable. <laughs> because that's where the rubber meets the road. That's how you actually evaluate it. Why do I do what I do? And it matters to God. Do you have an aversion even a dislike from Muslims because of what happened on 9-11-2001? Because your child or your grandchild went to war to deal with Islamic fanaticism? You see, the temptation is there for all of us. It truly is. And we must check it and repent of it and recognize that I'm only standing where I am Forgiven, heaven-bound, satisfied in him because of the grace of God alone. That's why. That is why. No other reason. I could be dead and in hell. 
I, I, I could be a quadriplegic. I could be insane. I could, I could be destitute. I live under a bridge. And so could you. Maybe just by one foolish move in life, that's where you would be. But by his grace and for his glory, you're sitting here able-bodied in mind, ready and able to make a difference as salt and light in KC. So, it goes against spiritual law. Secondly, racism violates civil law. Look at Romans 13, if you would, verses 1 through 3. Very quickly, Romans 13, verses 1 through 3. And my, is this ever pointed in our day? Romans 13, verse 3 verses. And it says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be, that is the powers that are in, presently in, in control, are ordained of God. Remember now, this was written during a right-wing conservative administration of a free enterprise society? Not, not hardly. This was written during emperor worship, practically, with Caesar and the like. And yet, the text says, he's ordained of God. Whosoever, therefore, resists the power, you're resisting the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves judgment, condemnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. Now, in a culture such as ours, there are thankfully great check and balances, checks and balances in our system. For it is certainly true that the sheriffs and the police and the like have authority, have constitutional authority. The idea of the police, that's a question on some people's minds. Clearly the sheriff and deputies do because they're elected. So we'll go with that. And yet they are flawed people. I do not know one single person, black or white, Hispanic, Asian, not one. I've not heard one who has anything but condemnation for the activity of the policeman in Minneapolis recently. I was blown away when I saw that video. I said to Kathy, I don't see any wiggle room here. This guy was, he behaved in a vile manner. I'm, and I'm thinking at the same time, <clears throat> hasn't there been enough upheaval over this issue that you ought to be thinking somewhere along the line that this ought not be the case? So it's a violation of civil law. And folks, we're obeyed, we're called to obey civil law unless it requires us to do something evil. I don't know that anywhere during the slavery period that a plantation order was forced to own slaves. I don't know that he had to own slaves, and yet the vast majority did. And I slap myself in the head and I say, what were those white, middle-aged, you see how I'm identifying with this? What were they thinking? Owning another human? Which is why abortion, parenthetically, is so vile and evil. Because it's the woman in consultation with her doctor and whoever else saying, 
I own my body. That baby is not your body. That baby has its own body. Thank you very much. We didn't, uh, apparently white plantation owners did not believe their own document in the declaration, the preamble. We hold these truths. We hold these truths to be so tight that they don't even need to be said because they're self-evident. That everyone, all men, are created equal, same footing in the eyes of God. They're endowed by their creator. We didn't give them these unalienable rights. We can't alienate these rights because God gave them. And what are those rights? Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. We did not believe that apparently, not really. So governments are on solid ground. Our government is to have laws against the sin of racism. You see, folks, if liberty isn't absolutely guaranteed for all, then it cannot be absolutely guaranteed for any. If it's not absolutely guaranteed for all, it cannot be guaranteed, not absolutely, for any. Hence, the need for the rule of law. The sin of racism violates civil law. And then thirdly, and, and in my wheelhouse really, the sin of racism violates natural law. I'm a degreed scientist before, long before I went, not long, but sometime before I went to the ministry. In Acts 17, verses 24 through 27, Acts 17, 24 through 27 tells us that racism is a contradiction to, to natural law. Acts 17, beginning in verse 24, it says, God who made the world and all things in it. Do we believe God created, by the way? He did that. Seeing that he's Lord of heaven and earth. Do we believe that? He doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. Neither is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. Seeing he gives life and breath and all things. And hath made us of one blood. All nations of men to dwell on the face of the earth. And hath determined the times before appointed. And the bounds, the boundaries of their habitations. That is countries, nationalities. That they should seek the Lord if perhaps they might feel after him, find him, though he's not far from every one of us. It says right here that God created us of one blood. And you think about it, we all come from the same parents. If you believe biblical history, Adam and Eve were specially created. Every, every other mortal uh, since then, save Jesus, he's not mortal, was, create, was procreated. And we have 23 pair of chromosomes in our cells. We are all alike. It's just an issue of pigmentation difference or an accent of a language that is different. Love the Cameroonian accent, by the way. Listening to a, a gal last night from Kazakhstan. Loved that. Um, Oksana, I love her accent from Ukraine. Uh, I could listen to it, you know, just, and of course, who, who doesn't love the, the accent of the Brits, you know? So it's just that. It's just different cultures. We're the same race. And so in, to attack another based on some type of consideration like that is ludicrous 
because it's destroying part of your own family. Genesis chapters 1 and 2 teach that. God generated Adam and Eve, and we procreate after that. Therefore, I am so thankful. I am beyond words grateful to God that the best I know, we, do, we are not plagued in this church. If we are, I don't know that we are. Ignorance is bliss. We are not plagued in this church with a prejudice against one another based on whatever. You have a Jewish background, you have a, 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 an Asian background, you speak Portuguese, you uh, have a different skin coloring than me. I don't know that we are afflicted that way at all. Therefore, with our international multicultural representation, which we have here, that Redbridge Baptist Church resembles heaven to some degree. And here's the thing. We're not out courting a, a, a particular people. Okay, let's go after people from India this week. Let's go. Uh, we, we're, we're getting a little low on the Chinese uh, delegation. Let's no. God, would you bring souls our way to whom we can share the liberating message of the cross of Christ and bridge every racial divide by the only way that it can be bridged, the cross of Christ. So, do you get very personal? Let me, let me share with us so we'll face it. Redbridge is predominantly a white church, always has been, European ancestry. That's not good or bad, it's just how it is. I use the word predominantly, meaning in numbers, in headcount. We are not primarily a white church. We're not primarily a man's church. We're not primarily a woman's church. We're not primarily a young church or an old church. We are primarily people who stood in need of the grace of God. That's primarily who we are. Because everything else goes out the window when you're standing in the presence of God. Either standing in his presence as a sinner awaiting judgment or standing in his presence as a saint awaiting welcome home, thou good and faithful servant. So I thank God for believers of different colors, cultures, customs that accept one another here. And if you are saved, if you're a believer, follower of Christ, and you cannot handle racial or cultural diversity, then this church is not the place for you. It just it would it would be sandpaper on an open wound, unless you repent. And if you know the Lord and that's your heart, that you cannot handle being around a Muslim who got saved. Somebody with a heavy accent that you struggle to understand. I don't know that you're going to enjoy heaven for the first million years. <laughs> you see, it says in Revelation 5, I think it's 5, they gathered around the throne were people from every tribe, tongue, nation, kindred. How did John know that they were from every tribe, tongue, nation, and kindred? They must have looked like it. 
They must have sounded like it to some degree. To some degree. Unfortunately, you'll have to listen to me and look at me for all eternity. <laughs> Apparently, there was some distinction of those in heaven. Well, sounds like exactly how God has created it because he alone will be the real focal point. So folks, let's rally our hearts in a day with uh, some, very few, I'm convinced, percentage-wise, uh, people being cruel and evil and unwise in law enforcement toward others and the reaction being equally unwise and, and, and unproductive and oh society is being ripped apart at the seams we can stand in the gap and make a difference and it's not can't we just all get along we can't but I can show you the Prince of Peace who will fill your heart with a different you and the Lord will be honored and your life will be blessed. I am so thankful. I don't walk around in this day with feelings of animosity. My, how uncomfortable would that be? What a, what a burden, what a waste that would be to not like my coworker because he is old and forgetful. I can say that. <laughs> To not like my in-law. Because after all, I'm a white family and, and that niece married a black guy. And that chafes me. That rubs me wrong. Are you with me? You hearing me? You see, the cross of Christ will bridge and does bridge that gap. So I, don't, I just simply don't have to, I don't have to negotiate that. And I am grateful, humbly grateful to the Lord. May you have his freedom in this area. Lord, I